Get ready to rumble. Shilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Dennis Prager, nationally syndicated talk show host, founder of Prager U, New York Times bestselling author of The Rational Bible, the new book Deuteronomy, God, Blessings, and Curses. And Dennis Prager, welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Pleasure to be with you. This is a massive undertaking, what you're doing, and this, of course, the third out of five volumes you're doing. Tell us why you've decided to vote this time to analyze and comment on the Bible. If people don't start taking the Bible seriously again, uh, we have lost the Western world, and we've certainly lost the United States. This, This is the book that made Western civilization possible. Even if you hate the book, even if you are an aggressive atheist, but if you're intellectually honest, you just have to recognize that. I fear that people have abandoned this and the price, as I said, will be catastrophic. It's, it's, we're already seeing it's catastrophic. We're living in an age of chaos. I, I regard the Bible as basically order and the post-biblical world is basically chaos. The problem is, or a problem is, that a lot of believing people, Jews and Christians, don't know how to explain the brilliance and relevance of the Bible. And if they can't do that, then obviously we'll just keep losing generations. We have more and more people young people in particular who say they're none, N-O-N-E, when asked religion, and the results are, are what you see. The results are fewer people marry, fewer people than that even have children. There is massive confusion. Children are told that there's there aren't two sexes. They're told that at five years of age, the American Medical Association announces that birth certificates should not list the sex of a child child may change its mind one day. It's so obvious to anyone, as they say, biblically with eyes to see the moral chaos and intellectual chaos that follows the post-biblical world. So I feel this massive need because I think I really know what it wants to say. And I know biblical Hebrew very well. So I've embarked on this 10-year project. I've been teaching it 40 years, but the writing is 10 years. So this is the third of five volumes, the Rational Bible, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, you'll find this fascinating. I wish I knew this before I finished writing the commentary on Deuteronomy, but I just learned it recently. The founders, according to an American university professor, the founders of the United States cited Deuteronomy more than any other book, secular or religious, which is astonishing. 
And Jesus cites Deuteronomy more than any other book except the Psalms. This is a very powerful book. It's a remarkable fact, and I had no idea. I've read the Bible and studied the Bible, but I didn't know of that. Perhaps you could bring uh, just an example of one or the other of what Jesus quoted or the founders quoted from Deuteronomy to help our audience understand the significance. There are many answers to that. The specific quotes, one could easily look up uh, where Jesus cites Deuteronomy. He cites Psalms the most, and then Deuteronomy is next. Obviously, love God. I mean, that, that's the most obvious yes. example that that's there in, you know, where uh, Moses repeatedly says, you, you are to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Uh, by the way, I, I, as I point out in my commentary, we take this for granted. This and so much else in the Torah, which is what I'm working on, the first five books are, are called the Torah, was brand new in human history. The idea that you would love God or God loved you was completely absent from other religions. There was no such thing. Basically, the gods couldn't give a damn about you. That's why they had human sacrifice. Hey, if I give you a human, will you, will you leave me alone? It was to propitiate the gods. That's what that human sacrifice was about. They really saw gods as, as malevolent creatures. The idea that God is malevolent and loves you or that you should love God, this is such a radical departure. That's one of the reasons I believe that God is ultimately the author of these five books, because these things are so brand new. But that would have been one example. Of, uh, with regard to the founders, the admonition that the, the king, if you ever have a king, and God did not want the Israelites to have a king, because he, he, he correctly understood big government to put it in modern terms, is a big problem. Mm -hmm. he, he wanted people to answer to their parents and answer to him. And today, what we have is the opposite. You don't answer to your parents and you don't answer to God, you answer to the state. It's exactly what God feared would happen. But uh, it, there's a law there that the king cannot have many horses and cannot seek wealth, and as well that he must write down the laws of the Torah. He has to write them by hand. Imagine if every politician had to write the Constitution. I mean, it just gives you an idea of how, how incredibly forward-looking all of this is. There is a relationship that you discuss in your commentary uh, between wisdom and the fear of God and godly leadership. And I think you were kind of hinting at this in the beginning of our conversation, Dennis, when you were talking about how things are falling apart. But we have absence in that area in this country today. When I was at Columbia doing graduate work in the 1970s, I was mystified at the amount of nonsense I was being taught by very bright people. And it truly bothered me. How could so many bright people believe in nonsense like men and women are basically the same? This is not new. This was taught already in the 70s, maybe even in the 60s. I had the only epiphany of my life. I've never had a theophany. God has never appeared to me as such, although he does appear to me on the pages of the Bible. That's a separate issue. Anyway, I had one time, one experience in life where something came to me, changed my life as if it had come from the heavens, so to speak. I was walking on the Columbia campus wondering why I was being taught so much nonsense. And all of a sudden, a phrase in Hebrew that I had said in Jewish school, yeshiva, which I attended till I was 19, 
uh, until first kindergarten and first grade, we said certain biblical verses in Hebrew every day. And I had not said this since first grade. All of a sudden, it came to be. Wisdom begins with fear of God. I realized what was happening. There's no wisdom at Columbia because there's no God at Columbia. There is not a single secular institution that produces wisdom. There might be secular individuals with wisdom, but there's no secular institution with wisdom because the wisdom does come from fear of God from understanding that there's something above you to which you are accountable and from which you must learn. People don't think they have to study wisdom. They think that they can consult their heart and they come up with these, with these answers, but look at the answers they come up with. You're seven years old and you think you're a boy. Okay. Wait a little while. We'll, we'll block puberty. And then uh, at the right age, we'll, we'll cut your healthy breasts off. And this is what's considered enlightened in the secular world. It's hard to imagine a nation that's fallen so far, but this is what happens when you detach from God. Something else that you discuss, and you talked about a loving God, but people have a lot of trouble understanding God as an angry God, and certainly anger is displayed in particularly towards nations as they turn away or peoples as they turn away from God. So let's talk about the concept of God and anger. Yeah, I'm, I'm always mystified, to be honest, when religious people or even secular people have that problem with God getting angry. Frankly, I'd have a problem if God didn't get angry. Mm-hmm. It would be an amoral God. If God doesn't get angry at evil, then I'm in the wrong business. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to look at Buddhism or something. That's why in my Genesis book, I do something you... I haven't seen any of the commentary. I defend God for destroying the world except for Noah. (laughs) God doesn't like evil. He didn't create us to be cruel to one another. If that's what the world ends up, then he's going to start again. I I don't find that problematic. I I like that about God. He, He doesn't play around with evil. I love that God gets angry. If God got angry at trivia, then uh, I, I, that would be very disturbing. But he gets angry at evil. So should we. As much more, my favorite verse in the Bible uh, is, those of you who love God must hate evil. It's a command. We don't have a command form in, in English, but there is one in Hebrew. And it's a command. If you love God, you must hate evil. Dennis, we were talking about the nation's founders, and there's a quote that I like to talk about on the air when I'm broadcasting here in Charlottesville. And it's from John Adams, and essentially he said that the Constitution was meant only for a moral and a religious people, and it's not suitable to the governance of any other. You talk in this book about Deuteronomy, and also the nation's greatness comes from moral power. So what are the implications for America under such a circumstance? We're living the implications. There's no longer implications. Mm -hmm. It's, It's the reality in which we're living. The mistreatment of children that is now rampant by sexualizing them at the age of five, by telling them that they may not be a boy or a girl, they'll decide at a, at a later age when, when Disneyland no longer says boys and girls because it doesn't believe in binary sexual identity. When we have the ability of an 18 year old, she can't decide to have a cigarette, but she can decide to cut her breasts off. The, the sick ideas that pervade our life 
as I, I wrote, it's on the internet. I have a thousand columns on the internet, literally a thousand, wow. 20 years of weekly column. And I wrote one, how the left keeps me religious. And it is meant literally. If the left had produced clear thinking, fine people, my religiosity would be challenged. But they produce despicable ideas and despicable policies, and they affirm what antipathy to the Judeo-Christian value system produces. So in, in a very real sense, they keep me religious. You discuss in your commentary about life consisting of blessings and curses. It's in the title, obviously. Some people have a very hard time understanding that and why God would bless some and curse others, sometimes without obvious intent. Well, God does not curse the innocent. God curses those who do bad things. That, that's clear. If you have a brain tumor at 32 years of age, I don't believe... God is cursing you. God is allowing it to happen. But, and that, that is a, a very real question that religious people have to grapple with. But it's not a curse from God that you've got cancer. It was a curse from God when uh, there was a rebellion by this man named Korah in the book of Numbers. He rebelled against uh, Moses and Aaron and said that they shouldn't be the leaders and they're corrupt and so on. And so the earth swallowed him and, and his gang. That was a curse from God, but that wasn't, it was a punishment. He agreed to a contest where God would decide whether Moses or he was the true leader. I don't accept the notion that bad things that happen to good people are brought on by God. And I, I don't know where the implication of that would be biblically. Bad things happen. You can fault God if you want for not intervening, whether it's human evil or natural suffering. But you can't claim that God did it. God God didn't build gas chambers. People did. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast continues with Dennis Prager in just a moment. Support this podcast online at shillingshow.com. Borderhawk.news is a one-stop shop with the latest news about immigration, nationalism, and globalism. The Borderhawk staff daily curates immigration news stories and in the fashion of the Drudge Report, updates the site with cutting-edge content and original first-class commentary. Borderhawk.news highlights national and international media reports, tweets and nuggets buried in local news blurbs, polls, video clips, and policy research. Borderhawk is pro-legal immigration, pro-rule of law, but against an unsecure border as countless Americans have suffered violence at the hands of criminal illegal aliens. And an increasing number of Americans are concerned about how mass migration affects their daily life. Borderhawk.news will remain on the forefront of the immigration issue with a buffet of info to read, evaluate, and share. Bookmark Borderhawk.news. Add them on social media at Borderhawknews on Twitter. Dennis Prager is our guest. The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast continues. We're talking about the Rational Bible. 
his new one, Deuteronomy, God, Blessings and Curses. I want to go to the Ten Commandments because they're reiterated. And I want to ask, first of all, why God gave these to Moses. What was the purpose of the Ten Commandments and why was Moses the recipient? My project in life is to spread the Ten Commandments to as many people in the world as possible. When I spoke in Romania a few years ago and saw my little book on the Ten Commandments in Romanian, I can't tell you how much joy I got from that. I've adopted a saying in the last few years, if you really want to defund the police, there is a way. Get everybody to live by the Ten Commandments. I believe that this is the central moral code of the Bible. God gives it in Exodus. Moses repeats it in Deuteronomy with a couple of changes that he, he wanted to add, and it's clear that he did add. They are it. People live by this. You wouldn't need police forces. The world would be a beautiful place. I spend a great deal of time explaining the Ten Commandments and their brilliance. I mean, I'll, I'll just give you, uh, I'll give you just a tiny hint of, of something people, most people, might not have thought of. So there are Ten Commandments. They're on two tablets. The first tablet are laws between man and God not to make uh, false gods, not to bow down to false idols, not, not to carry God's name in vain. I explain that it's carry, not take, uh, to keep the Sabbath. But then the fifth, interestingly, is not between man and God. It's between man and man. It's honor your father and mother. What is that doing on that tablet? The other tablet is all between man and man. Do, uh, do not murder do, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not covet what belongs to your neighbor. Why is honor your father and mother on the God side and not on the human side? That's its brilliance. The fifth and the tenth commandments are the building blocks or the basis upon which the other four on each tablet rest. If there's no parental authority then there is no divine authority. That's the genius of the way, not only are the commandments genius, but even the way they are enumerated and constructed. Parental authority is the vehicle to divine authority. And they, they both break down and have broken down in our time. As for covet, which is the only thought commandment that is in the Ten Commandments, uh, the Torah law, Torah is the first five books, is, is almost all about actions, not thought. But this one is covet, and covet is not lust, and covet is not envy, covet is not jealousy. Covet is, I wish to take away what belongs to my neighbor. In other words, if you if your neighbor has a beautiful house, and you say, I want a house just like his, it may not be uh, psychologically healthy. You might you might be consumed with with envy, but it's not violating the tenth commandment. What violate the tenth commandment is if you said, "I want not a house like my neighbor's. I want my neighbor's house." When you covet what belongs to your neighbor, you will end up violating the previous four of the tablet. So the tenth. Is the basis of the the second five, and honoring parents is the basis of the first five. 
I'm curious to, I've had an observation. I'd like to get your thoughts on this, Dennis, as I've seen from the pulpits of churches, I've observed encouragement to covet. In other words, you're not getting what belongs to you, what these people have. And, and oftentimes it's uh, about, you know, rich people not paying enough taxes or something. But it seems to me this is being preached from the pulpit. I don't know if you've heard the equivalent coming from any synagogues, but it certainly bothers me that that's happening. My dear friend, you, uh, you've hit pay dirt. Mm. The entire left wing thinking from Karl Marx to the present is based on violating the 10th commandment. That is correct. You resent that he has what he has. That's right. Leftism is the opposite of the Judeo-Christian moral code. That's why it hates Christians. The left hates uh, Christians, which, which is ironic since we have a term for Jew hatred and Muslim hatred and black hatred, but we have no term for Christian hatred, which is the by far the biggest hatred of the time, and I'm a Jew saying this. I'd like to talk, before we leave the Ten Commandments, about murder and forgiveness, and I've heard people calling into your show before, specifically on the topic of forgiving a murderer who has not sought repentance, and I've been thinking long and hard about this. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Yeah, I've been annoyed uh, about that all of my life, about people forgiving people who don't repent. God doesn't forgive people who don't repent. Why should we? And anyway, it, it's it's uh, chutzpah. It's look, it's it's you got a nerve. A kills B, and C forgives A. Mm-hmm. Who the hell are you to forgive A for what he did to B? It's very very unbiblical, and in my view, amoral. Not immoral, amoral. There's a lot of time spent in Deuteronomy on the value of animals, the treatment of animals. And also, I'd like to talk in that context about vegetarianism and if that's what we all should strive for. So I take pride in the fact that I try to deal with every difficult issue that people raise. 40 years of talk radio have certainly acquainted me with people's objections to the Bible. I have a very long essay on does the Bible want us to be vegetarian? My conclusion is that you can, in fact, uh, draw either conclusion, but uh, but uh, certainly not necessarily a pro-vegetarian one. Clearly, the sacrificial system involved the killing of animals. What the Torah is against is the suffering of animals, not the killing of animals. There's a huge moral distinction there. I'll give an example about treatment of animals that most people don't, including religious people, don't really think about. Treatment of animals made it into the Ten Commandments. Very few people realize that. Maybe when I say it, they do, because your animal has to rest on the Sabbath. I mean, that was a first in human history. Animals, we have moral obligations to animals. Would have struck ancient man as absurd. But that is the belief. And as you point out, there are other laws as well. You cannot plow with two animals of different sizes on the same plow because they, they, they go with different rates. They're different sizes, and they'll, they'll just cause pain to the other. There's another law that when your animal is uh, working in the field, you cannot muzzle it. It must be free to eat whatever is in the field. People don't know. 
this re- remarkable record on animals in, in the Torah. And on the same topic, there are a number of dietary restrictions, uh, types of animals and birds, clean versus unclean, that a lot of people really don't understand or, or believe that it's uh, relevant today. And I'd love for you to comment on that. My, my long explanation will, will appear when, when uh, Leviticus comes out, because yes. that's where they're most uh, delineated. But in a nutshell... The clean and unclean is a very, very unfortunate ex- uh, translation of the Hebrew, which doesn't have a translation. Tameh and Tahor are the Hebrew. The closest we come is pure and impure, which also doesn't tell you anything, to be honest. The, the closest that we come to is life-oriented and death-oriented. There is a constant separation of life and death fight the only priests in any religion I have ever studied that cannot come in contact with the dead are Jewish priests. Mm. They're to be preoccupied with life. There's a huge life death separation. And that includes animals, every land animal that is not the kosher. In other words, that is, if you will, impure is, is carnivorous. And every kosher animal is vegetarian. So it can't be a coincidence. The fish that are, uh, that are not allowed to be eaten are generally scavengers uh, or big fish that eat other things like, uh, like a shark does. But the, the, the bottom dwellers that eat the dead, they're, they're associated with death. Birds of prey are not kosher because they kill larger animals to eat. So there's no question there's a life-death issue in the, in the laws of purity and impurity. That's why even an Israelite who was not a priest who came into contact with a dead body was impure for a period of time and then through a ritual of purity became pure again. Finally, Dennis, you reference in your remarks the problem of loving God and that it's not natural for us to love God and that, that's a hard one for some people to grasp. And other people say, I thoroughly understand because it's hard for me to love God. I debated before finishing the first volume, which was Exodus. I didn't, obviously, I didn't do them in order. I debated how much to include me in the commentary. At first, I didn't at all. Then I realized it was impossible because I'm a human being and I'm writing this for other human beings. So I, I did include it, and I, I'm as open as, as one could be. I say, for me, this has been a very difficult commandment. Given all the unjust suffering in the world, I have never found it easy to love God, and I am convinced God knows that it's not easy to love him, otherwise he wouldn't have commanded it. The very fact that God commands us to love him means that he knows it doesn't come naturally. He doesn't command us to love our children. That comes naturally. Dennis Prager, if people want to get a copy of Deuteronomy, God, Blessings, and Curses, and also if they want to follow you online particularly, I'd love for them to go to uh, learn about PragerU. Tell us how, please. Thank you for asking. So online, PragerU is the, is the gigantic websites or site that I have, educational site that I founded with my colleague and friend, Alan Estrin, 
about 10 years ago, we have a billion, that's with a B, a billion views a year. And 65% of them are under the age of 35. It's the largest non-left-wing site in the world, to the best of my knowledge. And we have things for little kids, for adolescents, for adults. It's, It's an enormous undertaking. That's PragerU from Prager University. Then I do a podcast every week for PragerU, which is called the Fireside Chat. There were 260 of them up. I've done 260 weeks worth, where for a half hour, I just talk to the camera from my own study in my own home with my trusty dog next to me. Then I take questions from listeners, usually young people all around the world. It's quite riveting. It's called the Fireside Chat. Then I have my radio show for Salem Radio Network, Dennis Prager Show. It could be heard anywhere in the world through the Internet. Just Google Dennis Prager Show or go to my website, DennisPrager.com. Then there's a weekly column, which I noted, which is uh, migrates all over the Internet. It starts out at DennisPrager.com and then moves on to many other sites. And I have a new podcast with a 20... Two, now, well, actually, today she's 23. Mm-hmm. A 50 year difference between us. And it's unique. I know I say this without any worry of being refuted. It is unique. What we talk about, how human it is. I've never had a co host in my life, and here she is 50 years younger than me. It's called Dennis and Julie. You can watch it on YouTube. You can listen anywhere Spotify or. DennisPrager.com, et cetera. And finally, the book, and all the books are available on Amazon and anywhere you buy a book. I would ask your listeners to see the reviews. There are 4,000 of them of my Genesis and Exodus Rational Bible and see how it has strengthened people's faith and has even brought agnostics to take God seriously. It's called the Rational Bible. The latest is Deuteronomy. Dennis Prager, you have been personally responsible for much of my moral formation because, as I've told you, I've been listening to you since I was quite young. And I'm so grateful that you joined us today on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. You're doing beautiful work, and what you said means the world to me. That concludes another edition of the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time.